Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey guys, welcome to The Bustle Huddle. I'm your host, Jada Gomez, and today we're talking about that old roommate of mine who just won't go away, anxiety. And while my girl anxiety rears her head in various ways throughout my life, throughout my day, today we're specifically talking about anxiety when it comes to dating. And who better to invite into the studio than Bustle's very own sex and relationships editor, Michelle Tolia. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Jada. Are you ready to talk about one of your favorite topics I know? Yes. Dating and anxiety. I'm ready for it. So to start off, maybe we can debunk some myths. So do people automatically assume that you don't deal with anxiety and dating? And do you think that you have it all together? Um, yes, people definitely assume that I don't, um, especially people that I'm going on dates with once they hear what I do. But I think I have it even more so because of this job. <laughs> like, I think I constantly I'm just thinking back to you know what would an expert say about this or is this a warning sign of this how do you try to stay out of your head when you've got all those like press releases and advice columnists kind of like buzzing in your subconscious yeah I mean I think um I just try to look at dates as much as possible as just going to meet someone for the first time because oftentimes I mean most of my dating my first dates have been through online dating so it is really like the first the very first meeting so you know I just think of it as okay just gonna go meet someone new try not to have any expectations and basically just try to like get through it have a good time and that's like my goal going in but then I think like maybe after the first date I'm starting to think you know more and more okay so now like I have to, you know, evaluate this person and, and like, are they... Are they your checklist? Yeah. Like, does this person meet my values? And I'm like, wait, how do I know? It's only been one date. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's where it kind of gets into weird territory. And then, of course, like, texting. I think texting just is never easy. I think it's honestly, like, it's always... It, like after the first date, after like the third date, after the fifth date, it's still going to be something that can cause anxiety. You know, whether it's someone that's taking a long time to answer your text or leaving you, know, you unread. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I feel like I've always heard that, you know, it's best to when you're first dating someone to just text to make plans. Um, and I've tried to follow that as much as possible. But then sometimes when you hear from someone you want to you, you want to hear from and they start talking, you're like, oh, let's talk. Um, <laughs> but I do think the less texting the better overall just because you know it's like you want to save all that stuff for in person and get to know them that way rather than through you know emojis and that's so true and then trying to like interpret them which I think really leads to our remix of our 30 second game so in 30 seconds we want you to give us the worst dating advice that you've ever come across as a sex and relationships editor, whether it be from people, whether it be from press releases or email, just let her rip. You ready? I'm ready. Go. 
Okay, I think the worst dating advice I've ever received, and this has been probably both through press releases and friends, is to act like you don't care. I think there's definitely, um, I think the idea behind that is like play hard to get and all of that. But I think that not letting uh, someone see who you are is a huge mistake in dating um, and you're doing yourself a disservice. And I think you should feel confident in liking someone and asserting your values. Oh my God, perfect timing, <laughs> right on the buzzer. So we asked people from around the office the worst dating advice that they've ever gotten and here's what they had to say. I once read a list how to turn on your man and one of them was to cut holes in a white t-shirt where your nipples are and just wear that and I actually did that and it was weird. The worst dating advice I've ever received was to join J-Date. Be like, let them make the first move. If you don't like a person after 30 seconds, don't go on a date with them. In the third grade, I had a really big crush on a boy in my class and I asked my babysitter what to do if you liked a boy and she said, just agree with everything he says. I don't know if I follow a lot of dating advice, come to think of it. I, I just like get there in in the trenches and I sort of like act out of sheer sort of like animal instinct. So I think the real problem with advice though is that it can lead to anxiety and dating because you know I think there's really like no one size fits all approach and it's not really personalized like you hear all these lines like you know generation after generation and Dating and relationships are just so personal. Every relationship is so incredibly personal. And, you know, what makes one couple work isn't what makes another couple work. And I think, too, when you talk to people about how they met or where they were in their life when they met the one, everything is so different. It's all different. Like, I've heard from people that were, like, so frustrated with dating when they met their person and then people that were, like, in this amazing place where they weren't looking at all and they met someone. So it's like, you can't, I don't know, I hate I hate the type of advice that's like, you need to be a complete person before you meet someone. Because first of all, like, no one's a complete person. Like, you know, every, everyone's a work in progress. You know, or things that are like, oh, like, it'll just come to you. Like, it's like, I, I think on one hand, yes, like, you you should be in a certain headspace maybe before you meet someone. But I just think it can happen at any time. And I think that when you're constantly seeking it, you feel like there's so much more you need to be doing. And I just think it's something that's so hard to to work at because there's so much that needs to be involved. You need to have a connection with someone. I mean, I think, and of course, like there are certain things you can work on, like, you know, toxic dating habits or patterns or, you know, going after the wrong people time and time again. But I think for like, for people that are just frustrated with dating and aren't meeting people, I feel like advice can add more pressure and can make them feel like they're not doing enough when they really are. I totally agree. And I feel like we're at that age now where you have people who are in serious relationships, people who are still single, people who are married and on their first or second baby. So like you're getting advice from people who are in different stages of their lives. And I know one of my habits is to just like if I'm anxious about somebody I'm I'm dating or if I'm really into someone and I want to like know all the clues is that I'll ask a million people and then one person will say something that I didn't think about that'll get me all anxious and then like I'm just this like knot of confusion and like nothing is getting solved from it so yeah yeah, I agree I think like asking for advice from 
a bunch of people who are not you or Googling is probably not the best bet. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that like when I first was single in my 20s, I was in a relationship for a long time up until I was like 25. And when I first started dating, I remember like, you know, feeling good about it, feeling excited. And my friends were like, oh, has, you know, this person texted you lately? And I was like, oh, no. Like, wait, should I, am I supposed to feel bad about that? Like, and they were like, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll text, don't worry about it. And I was like, oh my God, this is something I wasn't even worried about. And now I'm so worried about it. And like, then like they would like read our conversations and I was oh like, oh, gosh. this is, I was like, this is what I have to do now. This is terrible. Like, that is no, the like, get worst. out, get out. Yeah. Like if you're like, and especially if like you're the single friend at brunch then everybody's like, oh, so like, where, what's he thinking? What does he say? Let me get your phone. And then you're like screenshotting and swiping and yeah. you just feel so exposed. And exactly. So speaking of anxiety, I had the opportunity to speak with a therapist and writer in D.C. named Kathleen Smith all about post-date anxiety that her patients feel. And she really gave us some great tips, but then she also clued us into what your therapist is actually thinking when you bring up that same guy yet again. Okay, so let's kick things off with a pretty general question, but the biggie that we have to address before we dive right in. If you know that you're an anxious person, and particularly an anxious dater, is there a way to overcome that anxiety? Or will it always be there as something that we just have to deal with? I think, you know, we know a lot about our brains. They're very flexible. They're very malleable. So that's always good news to me that it is possible to interrupt your autopilot. It's possible to interrupt how you react automatically in anxious situations. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't require a deal of observation and, you know, just paying attention and, and trying to do a little bit better and putting yourself in those situations. But absolutely, you can change it. In your article, you talk about waiting for a date to text you back and the fact that um, when you went on a date with your first date with your husband, it took five days for him <laughs> to get back to you. And for millennials, that's like an eternity. Like that might even fall under ghosting at this sure. point. People would probably feel that way. But <laughs> in this day and age, like we're not just waiting for a text back. We're, there's also likes on Instagram. I know for me personally, if a crush likes my Instagram photo or is like watching my Instagram story, I automatically like equate the heart with them like liking me and reading into that and then kind of feeling a little bit of a letdown if they don't like a specific picture, which is totally not healthy. But are you noticing that your patients are kind of getting hung up on Instagram likes as much as the text? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think also, you know, there are features on, on dating apps that allow you to see if somebody's looked at your profile or read a message or not. So there's so many ways of keeping tabs on this new person in your life that can uh, give you information, but also drive you crazy. Uh, I think when we become anxious, our focus narrows on the thing we consider a threat, uh, or, <laughs> and, you know, and, and getting, uh, getting rejected is a pretty big threat, right? So part of the challenge is how do you kind of shift that focus away uh, from that narrowing and think a little bit broader and not pay as close attention as you might to, you know, you'd think of it as, you know, would you notice it that much if a friend texted you back right away or like something on Instagram, how do you not assign this 
level of importance to it that tends to happen the more anxious you get. And what would be some of the practices that you would suggest for someone who is just completely ruminating over the lack of an Instagram like? Sure. Well, I ask people to say to themselves, okay, if I were to go about this anxiously, what would it look like? I really like this person. Given how I've behaved in the past, what what might I expect for myself? And then if I were to go about this really thoughtfully and maturely, how would I be acting? What would be different? And I think it's pretty easy for people to kind of come up with a list of a couple different behaviors under each of those categories. And I kind of challenge them to use those as a guideline. That's a really great tactic just to kind of shift the anxiety from something that's not so productive to something that is. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit um, and just talk about anxiety in general. So when you do suffer from anxiety, is there a good time to ever bring that up to someone that you're dating? I mean, I know that we're talking about the initial connection, but after the fourth or fifth date, you know, that's that's something that people, you know, would need to disclose, I guess, for a healthy, secure relationship at some point. So Mm -hmm. what would your advice be to just bringing up the fact that, hey, you know, I suffer from anxiety. This is a real thing. Sure. I mean, I think if, you know, I, I like to distinguish, first of all, just between, you know, we're all humans. So we all have some degree of Mm -hmm. anxiety that is different than maybe having a diagnosable anxiety disorder or a particular challenge with it. But if that is something that that you have or you've been struggling with, I always think of it in terms of talking to somebody about how you've been working on yourself or what you feel like your challenges are, as opposed to uh, being a deficit, if that makes sense. You know, um, being able to say, you know, here's something I'm up against and here's Mm -hmm. how I'm taking responsibility for it uh, or getting help for it. So I think people tend to respond really well, even on dates, you know, if another person is coming up at it really maturely and saying, you know, this is something uh, that's a challenge in my life. Here's what I've been able to do with it. Here's what I'm still working on. Uh, You know, people tend to sense your calmness about it and uh, respond well. That definitely sounds like a mature route and just a productive way of going about it versus like you say, you know, this is something that's wrong with me. I guess you have to decide if you want to deal with it or not. That's different than saying, oh, I have anxiety, so I need you to text me back as quickly as possible or I'm going to freak out. (laughs) You know, that might not be another person's responsibility. And I think that's everyone's challenge, whether it's a relationship or not, is just how do you be a little bit closer to your best self and the person you want to be? And, you know, I'm a big believer that if you're doing that, you're going to attract somebody who's that same level of maturity who's trying to do that too. Uh, So I think just encouraging people that, you know, this is just a a theoretical idea, but I really do subscribe to it, that people tend to end up with other people who are the same level of emotional maturity. And so the more you work on that yourself, you know, the higher the chances are that, you know, you'll end up with somebody who, who can do the same thing and Maybe that's too optimistic, but I do believe it. (laughs) As a resident optimist, I totally feel you. So if, let's say, Friday night you're finally going out with that person you've connected with on Tinder, you're having that first date, it goes well, and then you're waiting for the text back. And you're usually typically anxious, but you're trying to change that response. What would your advice be for that 
girl on Saturday morning? What does she do? How does she go about her day? Well, my first piece of advice would be to just expect the anxiety. You know, um, it's normal. It's natural. You're going to want to be focused on the response of the other person. So just expecting the anxiety to occur and then asking yourself, okay, how do I want to respond to this? What are the great ways? What are the terrible ways? And how do I just steer myself towards the great ways? You know, even if it is asking a friend to distract you uh, Mm -hmm. or, you know, working on something that you're excited about, uh, just sort of how do you broaden your perspective for the day, which can be really difficult to do. I think it does take practice, but just being aware of what are the traps. So something I've always wanted to ask a therapist, since you get to hear all of our stories and all of our dating woes, what's something that you've always wanted to say to a patient, but you felt like it may be too direct or too soon in the practice? Well, I think the one thing, and I maybe do say this to people sometimes, maybe in a gentler way, is that, you know, (laughs) you will never calm down if you are Mm. focused on another person instead of yourself. You might end up with this person, you might marry them, but you will never calm down. (laughs) You know, that getting the response you want is very different than sort of being the person you want to be. You'll just find something else to be anxious about. And I definitely have learned that myself. It's not a quick fix. You know, it's, it's lifelong work. People don't want to hear that from their therapist, right? It's not very cost effective, (laughs) but you know, figuring out, you know, what you believe and what's important to you and the person you want to be, you know, to me that, defining yourself in that way so that you're a little bit more solid uh, when people disagree with you or when people don't respond the way that you want, you know, um, when you get rejected, whether it's at work or in a relationship or et cetera. We're not robots. We don't ever totally get over being affected by other people's reactions to us, Uh, but we can get a little bit better at it. We can see them as less of a a threat. I think what I'm getting from this too, um, just from a personal perspective, that it's again, it's like basically based on you and like you, you control you versus you worrying about someone else's response to you is definitely like something that I didn't really think about until talking with you. Yeah. I think of it as sort of like adjusting an alarm in your brain. You know, when we grow up, we learn the lesson that rejection is totally manageable and okay and different. We get different amounts of it. And some of us learn it better than others. And some of us learn it better about work and not relationships or vice versa. And I think that's everyone's challenge is how do you kind of tweak the alarm to see, okay, how how risky is the situation really? Because we tend to overinflate and make it, you know, much riskier and much more dangerous than it actually is. You know, what I always challenge my clients to do is to sit down and write out their own beliefs before they check in with someone else. I think what we tend to do is sort of do all the Googling and reading and then kind of choose what we want to go along with. And I think it's so much more productive to just sit down with yourself and your own thoughts first and go, how do I want to handle this situation? You know, just trusting your own ability to know maybe what the right thing is for you. And then if you want to consult a book or an article, that's completely fine. But it's so so much harder to define your own thinking after you've polled every one of your friends or read what five different experts have to say uh, that I think really doing that work on the front end is probably going to be, be more fruitful. My mom will always tell me, she's like, 
stop trying to get advice from so many different people or for, from so many different outlets because then I usually, like if I'm um, waiting for a text or there's someone I really like and I don't know how they feel about me, I'll like talk to all of my friends about it. I'll talk to my mom about it. I'll Google about it. And then I just have so much information that I'm just literally a knot and it seems like almost nothing is helpful. So like knowing when to like turn off the faucet with the information, I think is very real. And I think just speaking from my own experiences, it's very easy for me as a professional to sit down and have these ideas. But when I was dating, I was an absolute mess and (laughs) very anxious myself, right? I mean, I don't know we're not that much more, you know, differentiated from one another. Maybe there are some folks who are just completely calm and, you know, know themselves very well, but most of us are just kind of trying to do our best. I love that you bring that up because I know like when I talk to my therapist and she'll like talk about something going on in her own life and I'm just like, wait, like I thought you were perfect. I thought you had the two kids and an amazing husband and the amazing career and everything was great. So it's really, it's really good um, to, to just remember that your therapists are people too. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, are also anxious, anxious creatures. I know I can (laughs) say that I have lots of friends who are counselors, too. So we're all pretty anxious. (laughs) You've been absolutely incredible. And I don't want to let you go because I want more advice. But where can our listeners get more information from you? Sure. If you go to my website, which is my name, KathleenSmith.net, I have a link to my tiny newsletter, which I send out every week. It's called The Anxious Overachiever where I talk about the work that I do with my clients and also the work that I do on my very anxious self. Uh, And you can subscribe uh, via my website. I'm literally clicking in right now because if there was ever a label to describe Jada Gomez, it would be the anxious overachiever. I feel very seen right now. So thank you for that. No problem. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Michelle, have you ever been anxious about something that ended up being nothing at all, but it completely just consumed you? Every day. Uh, (laughs) I know. I'm like, where do we start? No, but the the thing that comes to mind was in my last relationship, I think it was after our third date, he texted me and was like, hey, I'm going out of town for the weekend. Like, I might be hard to reach or like, I'll be out of touch. And I was like, oh, that's it. Like, bye. Like, like, it's over. Like, all right. Like, I'm gonna have to tell my friends to set me up with someone like this is it. (laughs) And we didn't talk for like for that weekend. And then he texted me like when he got back on Monday and was like, it was completely fine. Like things were back normal. Like he actually just like didn't have service. He was like in the mountains. And I just like assumed he was lying and assumed that like, like that was it. We were not going to talk anymore. It's so (laughs) sad that that happens because ghosting is so real that you just can't believe anything other than that. Yeah. It's like the minute someone says something that could be like an out for them, you just assume, oh, that's it. There they go. Yeah, absolutely. 
I love this question and I know a lot of people can relate. So we went around the office and asked the same question. I freak out about a guy not getting in touch with me like quickly enough after a date. He'll wait like five days and then he'll finally get in touch and I'll be like, do I even want to see this person? And the answer is often no. I overthink everything and will overanalyze every text thread. Months and months later, I'm like, wow, I really destroyed my only chance at love. Right when I met my husband, we had had a text exchange about hanging out together over the July 4th weekend, and he had like sent me some weird non-committal text. And you try to decipher and basically become like a weird version of Columbo to figure out what you think that person is thinking when nine times out of ten, it's not that complicated. Last year, after we'd been together for eight years, he was like, I had um, a gastrointestinal issue that weekend and I was really worried about being around you, so I was trying to like play it cool and not hang out. So I'm literally anxious every hour of every day, but if we want to like narrow it down to dating anxiety, I remember first dating this new guy after coming out of something where the person was just not super dependable and used to flake a lot. So I remember going to, I think it must have been like a screener or something that was work-related and the person was running a little bit late and I just automatically assumed that, okay, I'm just gonna go in, I don't need the plus one, they're not coming. And he like showed up and he's like, I told you, I was only like five minutes away, I was just on the train and I'm like, oh my God, you showed up. And then I was like this little sad puppy, like you actually showed up and you didn't flake, which was probably also pretty embarrassing, but we're still friends now, so that's okay. So I can literally talk about anxiety and my awkward dating life until the cows come home. But what's really important is finding solutions to these issues. And not only will they help with us finding a partner, but they'll also just help us practice better mental health. So our awesome producer, Anna Parsons, went out in the field and found an amazing expert to help us hone in on some of those solutions. Yeah, hi. Hi, Anna. So good to have you on the other side of the mic. Yeah, thanks for calling me an awesome producer. Totally awesome. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I found the next expert that we're going to interview a couple of years ago when I was in a really, really bad relationship. It was a dark time for me with relationships, and I realized that I was having some habits that kind of went beyond anxiety. They were almost, I self-diagnosed it as OCD, which like guys never self-diagnose, but I did go down that internet rabbit hole and I found an individual named Mark Freeman who has a YouTube channel called Everybody Has a Brain and he gets into some pretty serious stuff but I think that his philosophy on mental health or mental fitness as he often calls it is something that like a lot of us can apply to dating so when he came out with a book called You Are Not a Rock that's been published here recently, I couldn't help but take advantage of, um, you know, reaching out to his publicist and getting him on this episode. Yeah, so I gave him a call. You're going to notice that I am actually really nervous, but like I was a little bit of a fangirl. You know, this guy helped me through a rough time. But hopefully his advice will be applicable to you guys as well. And yeah, enjoy the interview. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yo, thank you for having me. I'm a really big fan of your work. Thank you. <laughs> and I think your approach to mental health and mental fitness, as you sometimes call it, is really beneficial to everybody out there. But today we're going to apply it 
So the world of dating. Yes. Dating is, I love dating because there's so much uncertainty in dating. Yes, yes. So let's uh, let's start there. Why is dating such like a hotbed of booby traps to sabotage your mental health? <laughs> exactly. That's a great way to describe it. I think it's because we as humans really care about relationships. And so much of mental health is wrapped up in how we handle uncertainty. And then relationships inevitably have all of this uncertainty inherent in them. So how we start to interact with that uncertainty has such a huge impact on our personal mental health, on the mental health of our partner, of the relationship in general. And it's so easy. It can spiral out of control because we're trying to control this thing that's really important to us. Uh, and that always leads to more uncertainty. Yeah, yikes, yikes, yikes. You know, the entire time you're just sitting there wondering, you know, how you can get a positive reaction out of the other person. Yeah, we're there's so many messages we get from society, I feel like, to control other people. Yeah. Even like when you know, dating starts on like an app or something, we're often approaching it as like, oh, how am I going to like get people to like me? How am I going to get the right person? And how am I going to make them, I don't know, think a particular thing so they ask me out on a date or something like that? We just approach it like, oh, I've got to control people. Soon we'll have, I don't know, like robot AI partners and all of this will be taken care of. <laughs> right. You'll just order it, you'll assemble it, it'll, it'll oh, yeah. be odd. You'll have to reprogram it every now and then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's bleak. Hopefully that won't happen. That's why relationships can be so amazing because we get to have these really human experiences. We get to say, look, I'm, I'm actually not going to try to control this other person. I'm not gonna try to control my own feelings. I'm going to... We're going to create something and I don't know what it is. So how does the act of controlling lead to poor mental health? Controlling uncertainty and you could say controlling feelings and other experiences we don't like basically just leads to more of those feelings we don't like every time. Say I'm dating somebody new mm -hmm. and so I'm like, oh, I'm really excited and I think they like me and, you know, I want to send text messages and I'm going to get a response. And when I get that response, I'm going to feel really good. And so that's kind of like a high. My brain's like, oh, like you really like that. So I want you to have that feeling again. So I'm going to come up with another uncertainty, you know, the next day and they, they haven't messaged me yet. Well, what if that means they don't really like you? And the brain will just come up with these thoughts and then we react to them and the brain just has to keep going. And this happens with control around anything. The more we try to control and get that high of certainty, the more the brain comes up with increasingly complex and severe uncertainties for us to solve. Well, you kind of need to rely on those sort of clues in dating, though, right? Don't you need them to reply back to you? Don't you need for them to give you positive affirmation in order to know to take the next step? Maybe. And this is why then things like communication and stuff like that come in, uh, because we, we can so easily make a mistake. We love to get into lots of thinking and rationalizing. Yeah. And we might interpret something as meaning, oh, they're not interested, when actually that's the only way that person ever learned how to express they're interested. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we are like, oh, they're giving me signals to go ahead and actually they want me to stop touching them and get the hell away from them. <laughs> and, and so it's really, it's about being open and honest and communicating and feeling things and being able to say, okay, there's a feeling there, but you know, I've got to talk about this. We've got to communicate. 
Right, right. So can you describe like the beginning of a healthy relationship, especially going back to the entire approach of, you know, waiting for messages or online dating? Like what's a healthier way to approach the the swipe and messaging stage? Yeah, the which is a, a great thing because I think it's usually there. I know, especially for me, when I struggled with my mental health, if I was in the start of dating, it just consumed me. It's awful. Yeah. There was nothing else, right? right. Nothing else mattered. No. It was like, uh-uh. not your job. I'm- not your hobbies. Exactly. Yeah. And then we lose all of that stuff. And then later we're like, oh, like this kind of sucks. And, you know, I don't feel the same. And that person's gone and, and we've forgotten who we are. So what I always look at at the beginning of a relationship is, is and actually with mental health in general, mental health is the practice of being yourself. And so just being aware at the beginning, you know, you may have a really awesome feeling and your brain is like, hey, you should react to this feeling and go get more of it. But maybe actually the thing to do is to go and buy groceries, make some food for yourself. So, you, so you're not just sitting there on your phone, like ordering takeout, desperately waiting for another text message. Yeah, that's the thing is that we are looking for this amazing person. But then in the process of looking for this person, we let our own lives kind of fall by the wayside. Yes. This gets back to like these kind of core fears that are creating problems sometimes in our mental health. Like we're, if we're really afraid of being alone. I have to find this person. I can't be alone. I'm terrified of being alone. And and we just pursue that to no end. Whereas learning how to get really comfortable with yourself. And when we're comfortable being by ourselves, then we have this opportunity to give and getting connected in a relationship in a way that's uh, much healthier for us. I have um, a lot of friends that requested this uh, episode in particular. And when I told them, hey, I'm going to be talking about dating anxiety Um, what do you want to know? The questions, I'm reading the chats right now. They're like, how often should we be texting? When do you have the define the relationship talk? I hate to disappoint them, but I'm assuming, Mark, that you're going to tell them that there's there's no answer. (laughs) So that is kind of the answer. Right. (laughs) Uh, But then there's ways to handle the, the these uncertainties in ways that are healthy for us. The how often to text one, the thing that I always look at Uh, with any kind of mental health issue is have I become basically this little puppet for whatever my brain throws up? So one of my favorite kind of mental fitness exercises is to say, like, carry your phone around with you, you know, keep the apps on there, any apps, you know, if like you're on dating apps or something like that. Mm -hmm. And when you get the urge to check it, don't. Mm. And like, just start to show your brain. This is about what I want to communicate, not. And, you know, when I want to give it, when I want to use it, not just me like dancing around every time my brain throws up an urge because that's what it'll do. It'll just be like, hey, you should you should check if they responded. Hey, you should reread that text message to make sure you said things the right way because maybe you said something wrong and that's why they haven't responded to you yet and all of that kind of stuff. That's the thing I always tell people to do when you feel that urge to check. Actually, pause, be like, OK, I'm not going to check right now, but here's when I am going to check. And I would orient it around what you want to give. When we're going into a relationship trying to get stuff, we're trying to get certainty. We're trying to get reassurance. Uh, we end up just kind of digging this big pit. We can just never get enough of it. If we go in and it's about, hey, I want to I give something and I want to express something. And making that okay. And maybe this comes to the defining the relationship question. Because sometimes we might feel, oh, you know what? I just had this thought. Uh, I had this great date last night. And I, you know, I just want to tell them, like, I really enjoyed that. But then we might think, oh, but is that too soon? Are they going to think I'm, I'm like getting you know, too hot and heavy? Uh, but being okay with that, being like, look, this is the thing I want to give. I'm going to give it. I'm not looking for anything in return. This is just something I want to express. 
We love to find like easy, quick solutions. But with relationships, it's really about being able to sit in the emotions. Yeah. So I have been really lucky to be in a, a really good relationship this time. I'm like, I'm surprised. And um, I'm constantly scared that one day he is just going to change his mind and discover that I am I'm not as, as great as he thinks I am. And it's over. I'm afraid of that every single day. And I know that that's all in me. It's nothing that he's doing. But yeah, I can sometimes see myself acting upon the, those fears. Being able to be happy. Somebody just yesterday asked me on Instagram, you know, mm-hmm. what was the the most extreme exposure you ever had to do? So where you kind of do a thing that makes you anxious and, you know, you don't engage in compulsions. Mm-hmm. And and I always say it, it was um, it was like learning how to be happy and to make it OK to be happy. Yeah. Especially with texting, like if he doesn't text me frequently enough or if he texts me kind of a lackluster response to something that I wanted more out of, I find myself questioning, you know, all those little thoughts, all those little clouds pop up over my head of like, oh, it's over. (laughs) That text message that did it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I texted something lame. And part of it, too, is like we recognize that, you know, we do really care that younger version of ourselves inside of us that doesn't know how to have an adult relationship just knows like, oh, I don't want to be alone. And I like this person. One of the, you know, steps with this is always just being really compassionate to ourselves, whether it's pain or uncertainty, that desire, that longing in us. And, and we know why it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I just wish I could stop doing it. Yes. And so I kind of asked myself, can I think about the way I want to communicate with him and maybe he is going to dump me and maybe it's going to be terrible and awful and then I'll be alone. But at least that I communicated with him in line with my values. Yep. Because you can look at it all. Yeah. It's whether, you know, he's he's going to dump me or uh, I don't know, like we're both going to die tomorrow or whatever it might be. It's it's saying, look, you know, right now, how do I want to act? Right. Right. And, and always bring it back. Yeah. What can I give? And look, like I don't control him, but I do control what I give. How do I want to act? I like that a lot. Because also a lot of it's about setting boundaries because somebody could be treating us terribly and our brains can think of all these reasons. Oh, well, like maybe they will be a nice person or, you know, maybe, oh, maybe, you know, if, if, you know, they're quite abusive, we're like, well, maybe I did deserve it or maybe they're right. And, you know, maybe I didn't understand something, Uh, you know, having your values laid out can help you say, no, like this, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. This person's crossing boundaries and, you know, they're going to change or I'm out of here. And so I'll get the question, well, how, like, how do you know then to, when to leave the relationship? And I would say like, when, when you don't want to give to it anymore. Oh, oh, yikes. How do you know if you're ready to enter a relationship, if you're healthy enough to pursue a new relationship? Your brain will always think of reasons why you're not ready to do the things that you want to do in life. So that's the first, so it won't be like it might actually seem irrational and you won't feel ready. Mm-hmm. And being okay with that, being able to say, you know what? I yeah, I don't feel ready. And so yeah, actually there's probably gonna be some anxiety. I'm gonna notice this uncertainty. I'm gonna wanna check. I'm gonna wanna, you know, open incognito mode on my browser and go through all of their social media oh, platforms. My nightmare. The works. And so being able to know that going in. Because uh, it really is just like exercise. Like you're when you start exercising, uh, you're not ready to exercise because you haven't been exercising. 
You only get to work on handling uncertainty by experiencing uncertainty. The thing I would look at is just is just being able to understand that and being able to then look at the skills you need to work on that relationship or work on yourself or whatever it is. Because, yeah, you'll always be able to think of a reason not to do it. You know, now that I've met somebody who's kind and who I like quite a bit, yeah. I realize that, honestly, it's just really hard to find anybody. <laughs> like, yes. The chances of meeting your person are just very small in general. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that's true with so many things in life. And so that's why it's so key to really enjoy that journey. Like, it really is about what you give. And yeah, maybe there'll be uh, some great things that will happen. And maybe the great thing will just be that you got to you got to be yourself. I love that. I love that. And that's a really great place to end. Mark, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at markfreeman.ca. Uh, and also I have a YouTube channel with mental health videos. Uh, and that's at Everybody Has a Brain. Perfect. Yeah. Um, word of warning to everyone out there. If you type Mark Freeman into YouTube, there's a pesky other Mark Freeman that always comes up first. Yeah. Is that the is that the one that does like the dirt bikes or yes, something like that? Yeah, the dirt bike guy. I hate him. Yeah. Oh, I, I get a lot of messages about dirt bikes. And I'm like, oh, I don't think <laughs> you're looking for me. Yeah. Mark, thank you again. Thanks a lot for getting in touch. Yeah, it was yeah, great chatting with you. Yeah, for sure. All right. Bye. All right. Have a great day. Bye. So that's it for our show. I think this one, Michelle, is probably one of my favorite. I feel like I've just been through a great therapy session that costs free 99. That's always good. I know it's very cathartic to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much for stopping by. And I know that we sit about 10 feet away from each other, but hopefully I'll see you down in the pod soon. Thank you for having me. Of course. And thank you so much, Anna, for bringing Mark Freeman to us and for being so open about your own experiences. That's really awesome always and forever. I'm always here to overshare. <laughs> <laughs> the Bustle Huddle is produced by Anna Parsons, Julia Shue, and Michaela Heck, with help and love from Roseanne Salvatore. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And definitely leave us reviews on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can also reach us the old-fashioned way at huddle at bustle.com. I'm your host, Jada Gomez, and I will see you next week.